nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. And uh, welcome to Black History Month. We want to welcome our 10 engaged listeners on the line, the other seven in the chat room. And I'm going to let my co-host say hello to you. Jeff, welcome back. Always good to have you starting us off right. Jeff, hello, Jeff. Good evening, folks. How's everybody doing? All righty. Good, good. And we have from uh, Chi-Town's finest, Dr. Marlo Camp. Tell everybody hello, Black History Month. All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy Black History Month. Hope you enjoy the whole month. Oh, yeah. History. We're going to have a good time. From the Motor City Miracle, none other, Mr. James Waddell. Jim, tell him hello. Good evening, audience. I hope you have a great program. We're going to have a great program today. Hope you get to hear all of it. All righty. All right, from the Music City, Coach Steve Wright. Tell everybody hello, Steve. Good evening, everyone. Happy Black History Month. Oh, yeah. We're ready to go tonight. And so I want to, uh, let's get started right away. Uh, We don't want to miss anybody. And we want to start this month off with one of the Black History heroes that's not talked about much. We always talk about Martin, Malcolm, and, of course, Mandela from Africa. But here she is. Her name is Mrs. Amelia Isadora Platts was her original name. Later on, later on she was known as Miss Amelia Boy, uh, Boyton. Now, Mrs. Amelia Boyton was born August 18, 1911, and she passed August 26, 2015. Uh, she was born in Savannah, Georgia. She's a member, a key member of the civil rights movement in Selma, Alabama. She was a teacher. Uh, She had many titles, worked in many industries, but she was best known for her activity in the civil rights movement, particular down in Alabama. She says she protested and against segregation and the disenfranchisement of blacks. And in early 1965, Amelia Boyden helped organize a march to the state capital of Montgomery, Alabama, initiated by James Bevel, and it took place on March 7, 1965. It was led by John Lewis, Bill Williams, Bob Mayer, and including Rosa Parks and others in the marches. The event became known as Bloody Sunday, when county and state police stopped the march and beat demonstrators after they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge into Dallas County. Ms. Boynton said they charged, they came from the right, they came from the left, and one of the troopers shouted, run, I thought, why should I be running? Then an officer on a horseback hit me across the back of the shoulders and for a second time on the back of the neck, I lost consciousness. Interview, Miss Amelia Boyd, Robinson, 2014. She also had burns in the throat and the effects of tear gas. And guess what? She didn't quit. She participated in two more subsequent marches immediately after within two to four months. This the hero. We thank you, Miss Amelia Boyd. And I'm going, to let, um, I'm going to let some of our co-hosts talk about it. We're coming to you, Jeff, first. Miss Amelia Boyton, you know, tell me you your know thoughts. What? I'm, I'm really starting to think that civil rights movement wouldn't have jumped off without our black women. No doubt. I, I'm really starting to think that, you know, 
I'll tell you what, it seems like a lot of stuff was not talked about <laughs> until our black men say, you know what, we can't let our sisters go out like this. <laughs> that's just my humble opinion. They don't, don't that's not the Cliff Burton friends, you know. That's my humble opinion, man. Uh, all righty. All right. Dr. Kemp. Thank you, Jeff. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts. Amelia Barton. A strong lady who helped start it off. Um, definitely was right there in the trenches with everyone. Um, just doing her part for history. We definitely will definitely re will remember her just um just retiring or leaving us after the early young age of 104. And she actually was um, married three times. Yeah. And her three husbands preceded her in death. So um, she was definitely a very strong uh, TSU uh, Big Blue Tiger. <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Kemp. It's so much. So much. Tremendous lady. Now, we have a second one for you. Football week, Super Bowl week. Jim's our football, uh, football guru. His name is Fritz Pollard. Okay. He was born January 27, 1894. He died May 11, 1986. He was an American football player and a coach. And in 1921, he became the first African American head coach of the National Football League. Then it was called the Professional Football League Association. And his team was known as the uh, Akron Pros. So our first coach, again, was Mr. Fritz Pollard. He also played in that league, too. So, Jim, tell us what do you think. Fritz Pollard, Fritz, a hero. Fritz Pollard was a uh, pioneer in the National Football League. And fast forward to today, the Fritz Pollard Alliance monitors the uh, interviewing and hiring of black head coaches. And, you know, right now I think we have eight, which brings it up to 25%. Yeah. Still not good enough, but we're making progress. Mm -hmm. Thank you for setting the trend, Fritz, Fritz Pollard. Mr. Fritz Pollard, yes. Yes. I want to say hello to Chris and Diana Pugh, uh, our marketing chief down there in Atlanta. Steve, give me your thoughts. Prince Pollard. Well, it's amazing to think in the year that you uh, said that uh, he became a, a professional head coach, mm -hmm. that in that day and time, that that could happen. Yeah. And if it could happen then, and I forgot, what was the percentage that Jim just gave? Th uh, 100, what's 25. The uh, and like you said, Jim, it's not enough, but we can keep making advances in these areas and we have to keep pushing and we have to keep fighting for it because what he did at that time is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't look past that. And a lot of people, it just reminds me of the people that hate to hear the word stay woke. Mm. They hate to hear the word stay woke. I'm talking about folks hate yeah. to hear the word woke. Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers had said something negative about it. Well, they don't realize that stay woke means we have to be aware of what's going on. Oh, yeah. And it makes me want to say it even more. Now, and I've never even used it, but <laughs> but it makes me want to use it now 
because we still have to fight and we still have to push to get where we want to be. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. You're right. Stay woke, everybody. One more for you. I'm coming to the Hall of Fame on volleyball from this way. Uh, I bet you guys didn't know this one. Remember this name, everybody. Alexander Lucius Twilight, September 23rd, 1795 through June 19th. 1857. He was an American educator, minister, and politician, and he is recognized as the first African-American to have earned a bachelor's degree from an American college or university. He graduated from Middlebury College in 1823, and it was in uh, the state of Vermont. He also was uh, designed a building, Athenian Hall, the first granite public building in the state of Bernard, of uh, Vermont. Alexander Twilight, the first African-American to receive a college degree. What do you think about that, Joelle? Yes, yes. Good evening, everyone. I think Mr. Twilight was the beginning of the collegiate athlete. We can be both get our college and study and get our degree as well as do athletic abilities. And he showed that he, he showed the, uh, there was a bar set and he accomplished his degree along with collegiate. And he was the beginning. And many of us, all of us who have played on the collegiate level followed his suit. So my head's off to Miss Twilight. Yep. Alexander Twilight, first African American to ever get a college degree. All right, here we go. Our women, oh boy, of the month. And boy, do we have one for you. Serena Jamika Williams. Come on, y'all. This woman considered to be one of the greatest tennis players, if not the greatest, to ever play, but also one of the greatest athletes of all time. Arguably, we could put her on Mount Rushmore for men and women. Let me give you a few things. In her singles career, her record is 858 and 156 for 84.6% winning percentage in her career, along with 73 career titles, okay? Now, that was just in singles, in doubles, her record. 192 and 35, 84.6% in her career winning. And in mixed doubles, she's 27 and 4, 87.1% winning in her career. We have all month to go through all of her championships and everything that she's done. But uh, Jeff, coming back to you, Serena Williams. You know what, you, there's no if, she is She <laughs> is on that mount. Yeah. Definitely is on that mount. And one of the things that really, one of, one of the things that really amazed me about her career is the abuse that she's taken and stood up tall and dominated anyway uh, behind the scenes. You know, she's been called every every name under the book except her, you know, her God-given name. She's been characterized. I heard a I heard a a bum reporter once, you know, relate her to being the female uh uh, uh Campbell, what's his name from the Houston Oilers? I said, come on. Yeah, I said, come on now. And so anytime you go under that pressure and you still dominate anyway, 
And another thing, I will never not include her sister. Venus. You know, Venus really was the breakout one initially. You know, as Serena, a younger sister, these women have definitely did what they had to do for our generation and for the folks to follow. No question about it. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. Before we come to Dr. Kim, I want to say a few more Black history. Birthdays, Rosa Parks, February 4th, Hammering Hank Aaron, February 5th. So happy birthday there. Uh, Dr. Marlo Kemp, Serena Williams. Oh, yes, Dr. Burke, thank you for making her our um, February Woman of the Month. She definitely lived up to her potential, her God-given talent, and just made it so fun to, you know, actually watch um, the sport of, of tennis um, and just paved the way for so many young um, African-American as well as other tennis players. Um, so many people look up to her. And just so proud that uh, she has done and have accomplished everything that she has and just, you know, retired on top and retired when she wanted to retire. She's definitely missed, but she have definitely paved the way for oh, others. Yeah. Thank you so much. Serena Williams. Joelle, coming to you. Serena Williams. Yes, yes. Again, Serena Williams and her sister Venus, I'm going to send a shout out to them because they are our current trailblazers and they're showing to me, I would compare them to like Michael Jordan of basketball and Tiger Woods of tennis because they accepted them, their look, the way their body was shaped as far as uh, the the uh, discretion they had against black bodies and hairstyles, also their outfits and marketing and the products in that. They brought tennis back to life, young girls and programs that are going on. And so my hat's off to her. And now I think in her retirement, we're about to see her business mind continue to take off. And uh, I just wish her well and let her know that we're cheering for her. Thank All you. Right. Thanks so much, Joel. Well said. Well said. All right, before we come to Jim, I want to say welcome to uh, Benita Hayes is uh, now on the line. Uh, Lee Lanier is now on the line with us in the chat room. And uh, we're going to recognize anyone else. We also have 33 in the engaged box. So here we come to you. Jim, Serena Williams, come on. Well, man. Serena is on any Mount Rushmore that we would have. She won while pregnant. Mm hmm I remember Richard saying when Venus came out, I got another one. It might be even better than this. <laughs> and it was Serena. Yeah. And Serena has done all the accolades she can. I think the only thing she's might be a major win away from uh, Margaret Court's record. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Serena has done it. And, and Serena and Venus also are part owners of the Miami Dolphins. I think yes. they own like 1%. So in the business thing, it's going to take off when she retired. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jim. And uh, before we come to Steve, we uh, we talked about Rosa Parks' birthday uh, being on 2-4, known as the mother of civil rights who wouldn't give up the seat. There was also another young lady who didn't give up her seat. This is Claudette Calvin, no, Colvin, and we want to recognize her as well. Now, there's also someone else birthday on February 4th, and that is none other than Dr. Dorothy Wright, 19 years young, his mother, great educator, former superintendent 
in national schools. It has affected many, definitely affected my life. So, Steve, tell us about Serena Williams, and then happy birthday to Mama Wright as well. Hey. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Cliff, for mentioning my mom. She and Rosa Parks share the same birthday, 92 years old and, and, and in good health. So I'm just blessed to still have her around. And uh, with Serena, I, I, Marlo, Joel, Jim, Jeff, you all touched on everything. So the only thing I could do is just piggyback off what you all have said but I remember, I think it was, uh, who was it? Uh, it was Jim, I think you just said about uh, uh, when Venus came along and Richard said, I got one might be better. And I didn't think so until I saw her. <laughs> but uh, she was so dominant. Uh, and like, uh, uh, I don't know who was it, Joel said all the stuff or Jeff said all the stuff that she had to put up with and what she was called and she dominated. But what's really impressive is that when she was dominating uh, tennis and then she kind of started getting a business sense of what she wanted to do after tennis and she devoted a lot of time to that and she still dominated. And she dominated and I said her whole focus not even on tennis and she's still dominant. So she's the best that uh tennis player that I, I have seen man or woman, she's just dominant. Yeah. And like I said, she won one match when she was pregnant. She had blood clots to get over. I mean, she's just just on any Mount Rushmore, like Jim said. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All righty. We have a unique woman executive of the month. She's a uh, Voted as one of the top 100 influential African-American women. Now, she's a basketball player and still playing in the WNBA. Her name is Nika Awumake. All righty? Nika Awumake. And she is presently uh, the president of the uh, WNBA Players Association. Let me say a few things about her. She's won a WNBA championship and MVP award. Rookie of the Year, six All-Star appearances, three Camp Parrot Sportsmanship Awards, and a recent honor in the, the W25, which is the top 25 most dominant, skilled, entertaining players in league's history. But what makes her biggest impact is off the court as the president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association. In her second of her three-year term, Wumake negotiated the game-changing new collective bargaining agreement with the WNBA. And she most recently was the driving force behind a new arrangement that would give players free access to fertility testing services. In addition to securing reimbursements for adoption, fertility treatments, and surrogacy, the historic CBA included maternity leave with full salary and a dedicated space for breastfeeding in the arena. Uh, Womanke's recent partnership with Modern Fertility, a part of the digital health company, Roe, will provide at-home hormone tests so that the players can better plan for their reproductive health and futures. And that's just a smidgen of what she's done. Uh, I'm coming right to you, Joelle. What are your thoughts on this tremendous athlete and tremendous uh, executive in the WNBA? I'm so glad she's there because she is leading the way and she knows exactly 
what it is that they will need. And that's a lot of times you may have someone in leadership that has never played the sport. But in this situation, she's such an athlete. Not only that, she's a business woman and she's rose to the top. So that's something for us to look forward to and inspire within the future. All these young girls that's still young enough to go out and expound for this, they need to watch her and see what's going on, as well as coaches and those that want to build programs for these schools across this nation. So, yes, my hat's off. All righty, yeah, the former Stafford Carter doing big things. Uh, she also has a sister in broadcasting. James, tell me what you think about her. Uh, well, president. go ahead, Jim. I'll give you this unknown fact. She was a roommate at Stanford of one of my good friend's daughter. Okay. Who was a softball player there. She also was signed with Seattle Storm this year. Yeah. So, you know, she's doing all these things while having a Hall of Fame playing career, which is yeah. excellent. Absolutely. Outstanding. We'll continue to talk about her all month, an executive basketball player while she's playing, and uh, she is truly to be applauded. Now, it's time to go. It's March Madness, and let's see where everybody, where they are, what they're doing. Let's start with the MEAC. All right, you have Norfolk State, conference record 6-1, and one, North Carolina Central. These are the women now, 5-2, and two. Coppin State 5-2, and two. Howard 5-2, and two. Maryland Eastern Shore 3-4, and four. Morgan State 2-5, and five. Delaware State 2-5, and five. and South Carolina State is 0-7. Again, this is conference play. Now, let's talk about the leading scorers at this time in the league. Willa Kiera, Norfolk State, is averaging 17.7. Lawrence Layla from Coppin State, averaging 14.3. Bryant Kyler from North Carolina Central, 13.5. And Callahan Morgan from North Carolina Central, 13.2. So things are getting to tighten up. The tournament's coming up within a month. And again, that is the MEAC Conference. Now, let's take it to the SWAT Conference. In the women's division, this is conference record only. Jackson State, 9-0. Arkansas Pine Bluff, 7-2. Grambling State, 6-3. Alabama A&M, 5-4. Prairie View, 5-4. Southern, 5-4. Bethune-Cookman, 4-5. Florida A&M, 4-5. Texas Southern is 3-6. Alabama State, 3-6. Alcorn State, 2-7. And, and Mississippi Valley State, they are pulling up, unfortunately, the rear. Now, your leading scorers. Grizzly Ariana from Florida AM is averaging 18.8. A green uh, Amaya Simmons from Alabama AM, 15.4. Ryan Payne from Prairie View AM, 15.3. And Diamond McKnight from Mississippi Valley State is averaging 13.1. Interesting. None of the top five scorers in the SWAT. Women's division are from Jackson State, who holds first place. Interesting. Now, let's go to the Gulf Coast. Things are tightening up there. This conference tournament starts around the 28th of this month at Stillman College in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. In the women's division, uh, Russ College, 11 1. This is the conference records. Dillard, 10 5. Fisk, 10 2. Philander Smith, 10 2. And Wiley, 6 7. Coach Fletcher will be on our show February the 20th. Oakwood, four and seven. Tugaloo, four and eight. Talladega, three and seven. Southern University of New Orleans, two and 12. And the Virgin Islands, one and 10. So there you have the 10 teams in the women's standings in the uh, Gulf Coast. 
Ready for us? Need to tighten up. Now, we want to give you a big scheme of things now that we're in February, and that is the NAIA national standing. We'll give you the top five. Indiana South Bend, they are, this is the overall 20.0. Rondo out of Georgia, 21.0. Clark out of Indiana, 21.1. Dort out of Indiana, 21.1. And Marion, 21.1. The highest ranked HBCU on the overall record is Rust College at 19.3 from the Gulf Coast. So it's now you're getting the big national picture of what our teams in NAIA have to do from the Gulf Coast to go up against the national level. And so we are um, getting ready for March Madness, and uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're coming right back, Joelle, and uh, you're going to give us the, uh, we're going to have a little bit more than you'll give us the men's scores, okay? Here we go. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports, HBCU athletics. Welcome to our 36 engaged listeners, Lee Lanier. Welcome to the show as well. Uh, before we get to the men, we want to talk about in Division I women's basketball, freshmen of influence. We can't leave it out. Last week, USC freshman Juju Watkins scored 51 points against the number four Stanford Cardinals. They defeated Stanford. And they only had 67 points, but she had 51 of the 67 points. Uh, this is the second most point in women's history behind Kelsey Plum. And Dr. Kim, just give me your opinion on Juju Watkins. Juju is amazing. Uh, anytime you score, uh, what was that, 95% of your team's score? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah. Uh, whatever the percentage is, it is pretty much all of the teams score for, uh, you know, in one game in one night, um, you are awesome. But, you know, we just knew that just, just about her and, you know, in general, um, it's, it's, she's just a freshman. So I'm excited to see where she will be in a couple of years. Um, you know, with her talent, I can't yeah. wait to see her. Steve, Juju Watkins. She's just a joy to watch. She she has no offensive weaknesses. She can get to her spots. She can shoot threes. She's a four-level scorer because you have to count the mid-range, the three, at the cup, and the free throw. So she's a four-level scorer. And you're talking about a freshman scoring 51 points of your team, 67, uh, and be, and beating Stanford. Yeah. Stanford. On top of that, they beat Stanford. But I, 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 like I said before, she reminds me, and and Jeff and Jeff might remember this more than you, Cliff, of the great New York legend Lloyd Sweet P. Daniels. 
mm. of just a natural basketball player. Just everything's just at a different level for for Juju. Now I'm not sure when can when are the when are the ladies eligible to go pro? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe junior years. I don't I'm think they can leave after their freshman year because I believe that's why Caitlin didn't leave. Yeah. Last year, uh, uh, last year, but uh, I don't know if they'll be able to pair like USC either, though. <laughs> All right, and she scored twenty nine points in the uh, next game after that. Now I want to come to another player who's going to make history. Uh, Jeff, I'm gonna come to you on this. She has sixty six points to go. That's none other than I was Caitlin Clark, and I believe she get that, but definitely in the next two games, leading scorer in the country, right ahead of Juju. And uh, definitely will be number one pick. But Jeff, your thoughts on Caitlin Clark? Yeah, you can mail that record in right now. <laughs> that's that's done. Uh-huh. This young lady's no joke, man. I, I'm I'm curious to see her at the next level. Uh, if she kind of come in and dominate right away, but uh, I think what she really has is heart. Mm-hmm. I think she has heart. You know, she's not gonna back down from anybody and. You know, I, I'm also curious to see what defenses they're going to throw at her in the future. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Anytime they got somebody on their radar, you know, now it's the coaches come into play and we got to, we got to, you know, we got to form something that can at least slow this person down. But that's going to be a hard task. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll yes. see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Like it, Jeff. We call her <laughs> Steph Curry, too. All righty. Now, uh, we want to move on, Joelle. And let's talk about the uh, men's basketball. Joel? Okay, we may have lost her for a second there. She's trying to man, open your mic, Joel. All right? We're trying to get her. Okay, let's go ahead while we're waiting on uh, Joel to come on the line. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about USA women's basketball. Okay? They're starting to pick the team now. And they will have to go through a qualifying town, a qualifying round, excuse me. They've announced the team, and it's Ariel Atkins, Aaliyah Boston, Nafisa Kalia, Kalia Cooper, Ryan Howard, Sabrina Ionescu, Jewel Lord, Kelsey Plum, Brianna Stewart, Diana Taurasi, Alyssa Thomas, and Jackie Young. These are the United States team has to qualify just like every other team for the Olympics. And uh that's was all. James, what do you think about that team? I didn't see um, uh, Asia, um, the Aces on there. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I heard that team. It seems like they're trying to go young mm-hmm. with a lot of the players, a lot of the Aaliyah Boston in our second year and uh, Ryan Howard as well. So, you know, I'm thinking they're going to do well. But I still would like to see some of that firepower, like some of the aces, Kelsey Plum or Asia Wilson. Asia Wilson, yeah. That's the one we definitely want on. And uh, hopefully, 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 Jim, uh, make that happen. Let's see if we can well. Joel, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? All right, let's, yep, men's basketball. Here we go. Yes, men's basketball standing first for the MEAC. The Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, we have Norfolk State in first with a 5-2 in the conference, overall 15-9. North Carolina Central with a 5-2 also in the conference, 13-9 overall. Howard with a 4-3 in the conference. Morgan State with a 4-3, 7-2. 
South Carolina State with a 4-3, Delaware State with a 3-4, Maryland Eastern Shore with a 2-5, and Chopping State with a 1-6 for the MEAC. For the SWAC, we have Southern showing with a record of 7-2, Gramlin State 7-2, Alabama State 6-3, Texas Southern 6-3, Arkansas Pine Bluff 5-4, Bethune-Cookman 5-4, Prayer View A&M 4-5, Jackson State 4-5, Alcorn State 4-5, Alabama A&M with a 4-5, Florida A&M with a 2-7, and Mississippi Valley with a 0-9. Next. We have coming up is going to be the SWAC power rankings. We ready, Dr. Burke? Yep. Okay. We have first with Southern um, with a current record of 13-9. Their last game they played against uh, Jackson State, and they won that with a 72-63. and Their next game is going to be against Alabama A&M, and it plays on February the 10th, a Saturday at 6.30. That's for Southern. Number two is Texas Southern. And they have an, oh, a current record of 8 and 12. Their last game was against Prayer View A&M with a win of 80 and 69. Their next game is also Saturday, February 10th at 4 o'clock against Florida at Florida A&M. Third is Alabama State with a record of 11 and 11. Their last game, they won 62 and 53 against Florida A&M. Their next game is at Grambling. They will also play on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Jackson State comes in with a record of 8-4. They they lost actually versus Southern, uh, seventy two to sixty three. The mm -hmm. game will be Sunday, February eleventh, at Mississippi Valley State at seven p.m. Okay, and, great. Well, okay. Well, that's good. We want to go through the first five because we want to talk about the power rankings and what it means. As well, thank you so much. Well, read those records. Some teams are in the top of the swag, okay? But their overall record is not strong. We want to start explaining this now because as we get to March Madness and the big tournament and if somebody comes from the SWAC Division One, this is why sometimes it seems like our conference gets the 16th seed going against another conference, number one seed, the ACC. We want you to understand it's your overall power strength of your conference that can have you winning your conference, but still getting a 16 seed. And we want to start explaining these things as we head into March Madness. Thank you so much, Joel. Great job. Absolutely. Great job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Want to break it down for him. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we're coming back. And Jim's going to Jim's gonna take us through quite a few things tonight. So we'll be right back. Thanks so much, Joel. Great job.
right. Not only is it Black History Month, but it's Super Bowl week. Welcome back to Cliff Party Friends. We now have our 39 engaged listeners. And uh, Jim, let's talk Super Bowl. Let's talk money games. And let's talk the racial gap that persists in academic achievement between black and white football players in this year's college bowls. Jim, uh, let's go with it. All right. We have on Sunday, we have our Super Bowl, which will feature the San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, you hear, you heard it here first. I have a premonition the game is going to end with the Travis touch, Kelsey touchdown late. <laughs> he and uh, Taylor Swift meet at the 50 yard line, kiss. He pulls out a ring. Andy Reid retires. And the post-game concert will be Taylor Swift with Jay, with uh, Jason Kelsey's brother taking his shirt off. <laughs> All, right. All of these things happen. Now, to a serious note, there are a lot of uh, sideline, side stories. You know, Andy Reid, if, they, if the Chiefs would were to win, this would be his third Super Bowl. There would be their third Super Bowl in four years. That might be the time for him to bow out. He's had a great career. Now, also, the 49ers are having a problem with a soft field that they put some uh, grass on top of the AstroTurf field at UNLV, and they've been complaining about that. You know, you know, you you all you always hear that the NFL would love to have the Chiefs win with this Kelsey Taylor ro- romance. Yeah. So we will see. I, you know, I hope it's just a good game, and I think the teams are primed for it. Now, you have, you know, Mahomes. You know, is he Brady-esque? Are the Chiefs going to be the next New England Patriots? And you have the 49ers. You know, Kyle Shanahan still wants to avenge that game he had against the New England Patriots when he was offensive coordinator in Atlanta in a 28-3 lead to lose in overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they have the best two teams. Kansas City all year had problems with the wide receivers. They were uh, up until I think the second to last week hadn't won the West. But they went on the road for the first time in, in uh, Pat Mahomes' career to win two playoff games and make it to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You look at his career, he's made the uh, – Conference championship in all six of his years that he has started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got rid of Brady and now you got Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I think it's going to be a good game. You know, I think the NFL puts on a good show. Even the Pro Bowl last uh, last week had uh, over a million more watchers than it did the first year. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Brock Purdy, I haven't talked about the 49ers that much, but Brock Purdy has been shaking the tag of being a game manager all year. Okay. You, you know, he had good second half against the uh, Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions to pull those games out. So, yeah, and somebody said, I don't know who it was to give him credit to, there's nothing wrong with being a game manager. And Pat Mahomes might be, when he gets a lead, the best game manager ever. So, but I think Brock Purdy is a game manager who also can rise up big at the end of these games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, to move on to oh. 
Go Hold ahead. On, let's, see what, let's see what some of our staff has to say. Uh, oh, see, yeah. We got to get predictions. See, yeah. I, I said about first, I'm going with the 49ers. I think the running game will keep them down. But that's Steve, your thoughts on the game? You know, I'm surprised that um, Kansas City is the underdog. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are probably not, but I'm just surprised that they're the underdog, especially with the defense that they have. And then you got Mahomes who can get hot at any time. And, you know, when Kansas City wasn't playing good uh, during the year, I said the one thing about them, they're always dangerous. As long as you have Pat Mahomes, you're going to be dangerous. But um, I was surprised that they uh, were underdogs. I, I'm thinking we might get a good game. I hope we get a good game. Uh, and I think these teams may even put some points on the board uh, uh, instead of uh, those 17-10 games and, and, and of the like. But uh, I'm looking forward to a good game. And uh, what Jim said, that the, the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey thing happening at midfield. Uh, nice and cheese. Dr. Kemp, cheese 49ers. And we're going to ask our audience in the chat room, come on, make a commitment. Chiefs or 49ers, put it in there. Let's see where we're going. Dr. Kemp? I'm going with the Chiefs again this year. Um, mm. Hopefully they can pull it out. Although with the, the I don't particularly care about the side show um, that's going on. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. All right. All right. Jeff, coming to you. Give us your thoughts. Give us your choice. Yeah, man. Listen, my heart is with San Francisco, but big game moments, man. Chiefs been there too many times. They're going to rise to the occasion. And that defense going gonna, gonna to put a hurting on that run game for San Francisco. <laughs> McCaffrey, I think I'm only going to go with the 49ers, right? Joel, <laughs> what do you have? Yes, I'm going wholeheartedly with the Chiefs. I believe as long as they keep Mahomes healthy and fit, he'll be ready. The 49 have been solid, but it's going to be a great Super Bowl. All righty. I think I'm the only 49ers here. We just somebody to chat for the 49ers to go with me. All right, Jeff, turn it back over. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, well, I'm. this is the first time the Super Bowl has been in Vegas, and I think 67 million Americans are going to bet on with roughly 25% of the population. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I think the Chiefs are going to pull it out. I was playing with that scenario, but I do think Travis Kelsey might win it late. Now, Vegas has done, they've done, the NFL has done one other thing. They've kept the teams out in Lake Vegas, Las Vegas, which is about 25 miles outside of the city. They want them on the strip at no time. <laughs> they want those players to end up on the Las Vegas strip. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, we talked earlier in, in our production meeting one time about the uh, these payout games. College. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm looking at a couple of things. Those money games, you know, they end up not getting a lot of money. I think the highest game this year might have been 525000 And they, a lot of times you end up losing players. Players getting hurt. There's one player I think played in a game in 2015 and is still paralyzed from. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful about these games. Now, having said that, yeah. I 
did some other fact checking and looked at what some of these big five schools are paying other schools to come in that are non HBCUs. Central Michigan got 1.75 million to go to Michigan State, which there might be 50, 60 miles between them. So it's not a lot of travel there. So they can keep my satellite. Auburn paid almost $2 million. To, Auburn paid almost $2 million to get UMass mm-hmm. to come, $1.95 and Michigan paid $1.8 million to get East Carolina. Now, roughly, these are a third or a fourth of the amount of money that HBCUs are getting to play at some schools. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a shame. Mm-hmm. And even they had a breakdown for the, uh, for the SEC schools, and they are paying, for the most part, between like 1.5 million to 1.8 million. Mm-hmm. So there's money to be had in these games. It's just not being had at the black HBCU level. Jim, let me explain for some of our audience and listeners. Uh, let you explain exactly in football, college football, what the money games are. Some people may not be familiar, and uh, a lot of teams are making their schedules for next year. So explain to them what you mean when you say money games for college football schedule. Okay. The Power Five teams, unless they play another Power Five team, usually play three to four cupcakes at home. Game call them money games. It's a game you're basically guaranteed to win but you pay out some money to bring in an opponent of lesser stature. Now, a lot of these uh, uh, non-Power 5 schools use that money game so they can make their athletic budget. Now, we're talking about football, but in basketball, it's really bad because sometimes you have HBCUs that are gone for the month of December playing money games for the university. I know Mississippi Valley State was gone for three weeks to one time playing about eight different money games throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And in, in that case, when you're talking about basketball, you're winning December when you have finals. Mm-hmm. And that's real bad. And, and Cliff and Steve, I want to ask you this. How many... How long of a road trip did you guys ever have when you played college basketball? Uh, I'll answer that first, and then I'll, I'll cover Steve. I think our longest road trip, we played a small school uh, called Rose Coleman in Terry Holt, Indiana. Now, we have this. So, remember, we drove the games. We didn't fly. And so uh, that was our longest trip that uh, had us missing classes um, back in the 80s when I played ball at Fisk University. Steve? Yeah, I remember that trip to Rose Holman, and uh, I believe that was the longest trip we had. Uh, so basically, we were mostly overnight trips. Now, when I played at Tennessee State, we had a trip to Florida where we may have been gone maybe five days. But uh, when you when you mentioned that, Jim, you were talking about Mississippi Valley, you remember when uh, Davis, who's coaching at uh, Detroit now, 
when he was coaching at Texas Southern, they must have played 12, 13, maybe 14 of those money games. And they would have a terrible record, but it would prepare them. And they were going to the tournament every year with a record of 17, 16, or 16 and 17 because they had played all those tough games and they didn't have a bad team. So when they got to the conference play, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a cakewalk, but uh, he went to the tournament two or three straight years with that. So with the money game and, uh, you know, uh, Marlowe, Joel, you know, Tennessee State, we went to Notre Dame earlier this year for football, and I do not know what the payout was. But I think it may have at least been a million, and I'm don't don't quote me on it, and I'm probably wrong, but uh, they they got a pretty nice payout for it. You know, Jim, uh, money games for basketball and missing class is one thing, but to me, the big money games for football, and you got usually sacrificing injuries to the smaller school, right? Michigan's have the bigger, strong athletes. I think that's when it really becomes. Uh, a big problem and ethical thing. That's just uh, my opinion. You're selling players out, knowing they're going to get hurt, so your school can receive money. You know? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I believe injuries. Yeah. It. Hey, you can. It can ruin your season too. Yeah. You go down and you have a good team, and you go down and play a powerhouse. You lose two or three players for the season. Yeah. Now, I remember this wasn't HBCU school, but when Bowling Green played Michigan, I think they lost two quarterbacks in that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that can happen when you're playing a much inferior team. Yeah. 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 Jim, a few minutes left on this segment. I definitely want to talk about this week. Uh, there's a racial gap that persists between black and white football players that played in the many college old games, academic gap. And so where the real game is played. And I want you to talk about that in a few minutes, uh, five, six, seven minutes without having this segment because we, we want to get everybody in on that. Well, there was a survey that went out and I believe the final four football teams, Texas, Alabama, Washington, and Michigan all had graduation rates that were fairly similar in terms of black and non-black. Now in Texas, my, I think Texas had an even higher rate of African-American graduates than non-African-American graduates. But you go down the line and you know, part of be qualifying for a bowl game is your graduation rate. And there were plenty of schools that their graduation rates were markedly lower for African-Americans than uh, non-African-Americans. What were some of those schools, Jim? Do you remember? I'm trying. There was one that shouldn't have qualified, but they did. I'm trying to remember off the top of my tongue that one. But, you know, we got to do a better job of making sure that our kids graduate. Mm-hmm. Especially now that you have money involved, 
And you know this, you know, once you leave college, that money's gonna dry up. The NIL money, you're not gonna make yeah. that money for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to make sure that our that our athletes graduate. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of our, you know, you see a lot of general studies degrees. Mm-hmm. I'm ambivalent about that because it's a degree, mm-hmm. but. You know, parks and recreation, I've heard, is a uh, popular uh, degree-granting program for a lot of African-American athletes. But, you know, we just we have to do a better job of making sure that our kids are on time, are graduating on time. Because it's what, you know, you're being, I'll just put it nicely, you're being used yeah. to play college sports. So you might as, and I tell my kids, you know, you might as well use them. And get a degree. Yeah, let's bring, let's bring Dr. Kemp. Kemp. Let's bring Dr. Kemp. Dr. Kemp, what's your thoughts on this subject? I was just typing in the chat with some of these uh, de- uh, majors that Jim was mentioning. Are they were they majors that were from HBCUs or other schools? Um, and I totally agree. They have to look at the the overall picture, the overall goal. If you there's a chance that you don't think that you're going to be in the NFL or uh, any of the other professional um, leagues at post-graduation. And you definitely need to make sure that you're there and getting your degree so you can use your other talents and skills after you, um, you know, finish playing because they're making all of this money off of you while you're in college as a student athlete, then just make sure that you get the return also on the back end. Well so said. I totally agree with what Jim is saying. Well said. Here's Dr. Kim. Mm-hmm. Jeff, and we'll come right back to you, Jim. Jeff? Yeah, that's a big overhaul. I mean, we, you got to go back to the high schools now because, you know, history, they push us through. They they, they can't deny the talent. The, yeah. talent. the talent is the big numbers, the big money, so they can't deny that. So they're going to go after these – they're going to go after these young fellows that, you know, they have the talent but may not have the – you know the education or or, or or the numbers in school, but they're gonna push them through anyway. Because what are you gonna do? You're gonna shut the program down if you don't go get these guys. Mm. I'm I'm talking from a school perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the, of course, we need to, you know, up our game in terms of our grades and stuff like that because of our future. But from a school perspective, oh, they're gonna go after these young men. You can you can guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Joel, thank you, Jeff. Joel. Yes. Um, this is how I feel about the so much is being brought right now with the technology, the money, the availability. These uh when they pay certain schools to pay or money, it comes in it, it is a price. You get the money, a high sum of money, six figures, which can do wonders at these small schools, uh HBCUs to help equip the programs and provide transportation, training, all that, that they need. But at the same time, imagine playing a school like Alabama or something like that and you're on an HBCU level. The training and the, the what it takes to get on in the different divisions and what's offered to you is on different levels. One day we may all be on the same type level, but in we're still trying to get there. So they're coming and bringing it to the table to discuss uh, the overall well-being of the athlete. Because when they pay these 
play these big schools, they walk away. Some of them don't. They have injuries that take them out part of the season or something like that. And so they're looking forward to something I think they call the Celebrity Bowl or mm -hmm. be coming up to where you play on your same level or and then you can still rake in money because we're going to follow our teams because that's our family, our kids, the places we go to and alumni. So I think it's going to all work out as long as we keep discussing it and making it better. All right. All right. Let's talk about the schools pay uh, money games there. Okay. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on the athlete and the need to graduate um, and make sure that we graduate. Uh, like Jeff was saying, uh, they push us through uh, because they know that it's big money. The bottom line is you better win. Your job is on the line. You've got to get the best kids, and you've got to do what's possible to get these kids on that campus and, uh, and push them through, basically. Uh, about uh, five, six years ago, maybe, maybe longer, uh, North Carolina was charged with academic fraud wow. because of a course that they had players taken that they didn't have to show up. Somebody's writing papers for them. I think it was a black history course. Mm. And the NCAA did nothing about it. Now, they'll, they'll punish you for uh, what's labeled as, used to be labeled as cheating for paying kids, which I never had a problem with. But academic fraud, but they, uh, uh, Jerry Tarkanian once said, it's a university's job to educate more than graduate. Mm. And uh, I understand what he meant, but we do have to get our kids with a degree. We've got to get them out uh, the coach that you all, that we had on, um, uh, several months back where he had all his kids graduating and working on their masters before they, their playing careers were even college yeah. careers were even over. And, uh, you got to get, you've got to get that. Uh, Joel was talking about the technology, the money that goes into it. And, uh, you know, it's still not an even, it's not an even playing field. It's yeah. not. Yeah. It's not. See, that coach was coach Toriano Morgan from Edward Waters doing this, who's doing right. a great job. Yeah. Right. Um, we're going to continue this topic, Jim. Great topic, great section. We're going to take a quick break. Want to say Jim. one quick thing, Cliff? Like I always tell my kids, you know, if even if you play football for three years, basketball, you go to the pros and have a ten-year career, you're still thirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you still have roughly 80, 50 years to live. Yep. So you need to go ahead and get that degree when you got a chance to get it for free. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Steve, 30 second break. We're coming back. All right. All right.
All right, welcome back to my Clifford Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports at HBCU Athletics. Welcome to our 56 engaged listeners on the line, 14 in the chat room. And yes, in the chat, Joel says an education should come with a degree. Steve, take us away. Basketball. Yeah, I'll I, 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 I go back to Cliff, the trip we had when we played at Fist to Rose Harmon, and that would have been the, uh, really the only trip that we had that we would may have missed the class. Yeah. When we got back, I, I was going to miss that class anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. NCAA Division One men's basketball top 10. The Yukon Huskies coming in at number one with a 20-2 and two record. Purdue is coming in at number two with a 21-2 and two record. Number three is North Carolina, who's currently on TV right now and tied at 70 with Clemson with an 18-4 and four record. Number four, Kansas is 18 and five. Kansas beat Houston by 13, then turned around and lost this weekend to Kansas State. Okay. And Houston is coming in number five. Of course, they lost to Kansas and they are, they're currently playing right now. Uh, Houston only has three losses and all three of them are conference losses. They're playing Oklahoma State right now. They were up 20 about a, uh, in some early in the first half. Number six is Tennessee. They beat Kentucky 103 to 92 after losing to South Carolina. So it's just wish every, you can't trust anything. <laughs> Number seven is Marquette at 17 and five. Number eight is Arizona at 17 and five. Number nine is Duke at 16 and five, who lost to North Carolina uh, this past weekend. And number 10 is Illinois at 17 and 5. And uh, something interesting with, with, with the conversation that Jim started uh, Dartmouth University has gotten it done where, against the NCAA, where players are considered employees. Wow. And they will be paid. Wow. And what's getting ready to happen is. The NCAA and their lowdown selves, they're going to take a big hit. They're going to try to do away with the NCAA eventually, and football is really going to have a shot at doing it. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that because of the subject uh, uh, that Jim had brought up. Uh, Kentucky, they're playing Vanderbilt tonight. They've lost three out of their last four games. And uh, – they got the, the kid, uh, Big Z, eligible, and the other day he played six minutes. And this kid can play. Mm -hmm. He played six minutes. So I'm like, it, it, it goes back to what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, I, I just don't understand it. If, if college coaches, I'm sorry to be negative about the college coaches, they cannot make in-game adjustments. They cannot do it. They're going to play a certain way. This is the way we play, win or lose, and you won't make adjustments, and you lose. I, I just, I just don't understand. But uh, and and Jim Tom Izzo said he's not uh, getting ready to retire anytime soon. So that'll help these kids. Can you say go somewhere else or transfer portal? Yeah. But uh, that's another story. All right. Huh? He needs to retire. He, he does. He, he, he can cripple more kids than polio. Uh, 
Now, now to the NBA. Anybody got any college questions? I think we're good. Okay. Go okay. On. NBA. Start off with some news. Joel Embiid is going to be out. Well, he's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Kemp and, and Dr. Burt, you all know about this. He he had a meniscus surgery today. Mm -hmm. uh, they wouldn't elaborate on what they had to do, if they had to go in and fix or just take a piece out of it. And uh, like I said, Dr. Kemp and Dr. Burt, you all will know more about this, but they said that uh, it'll be a quicker recovery time if they just went in and took a piece out of it, what they need to take out of. But... Um, that, that's true. That's true, Steve. Uh, uh -huh. The thing that I worry about of being as opposed to say Durant, the amount of weight that's coming down on that joint. All right, mm -hmm. so yeah. Boy, so he may take a little longer even to heal. It's the amount of weight coming down when he goes up as opposed to a Kevin Durant, something like that. Yeah, but, uh, you know. I, I think they probably should sit him the rest of the year, mm -hmm. just for his health alone. And let him come back next year because I, you like I say, I don't know what type of meniscus surgery it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Steph Curry, the thirty-five-year-old Steph Curry, yes, had a sixty-point game. Yes, sir. In a loss to Atlanta. Yeah. One forty-one, one thirty-five. He put up sixty. Uh, Clay Thompson uh, <laughs> has been upset. They uh, they interviewed him today because. Steve Kerr has had him uh, out of the game in late game situations as far as being a closer. Uh, Clay's been on the bench. And you know the reason, you know the reason that Kerr has him on the bench, right? Mm -hmm. A good one. He's trying to win. It's a good reason he's got him on the bench. Sounds the good. NBA, <laughs> I like Clay, but hey, Clay, sometimes you got to know when it's time to lead the party. Mm -hmm. uh, trade deadline is Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, there may be some movement. I always get fired up, trade deadline time, and then I get disappointed because nobody makes the trades they're supposed to make. Uh, they they uh, said LeBron has been sending uh, subtle uh, hints to uh, the Lakers about making some moves and everything, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, and at the All-Star game, they're going to be playing on an LED court. Hmm. So some people probably end up being blind after that game. It's <laughs> <laughs> over that you can't even see. The Clippers right now look to be the best team wow. in the West. Give my hand. Uh, they lost about when they got James Harden. I think they lost five straight games, and now he is leading them. They look Amazing. good. I watched them play the other night, and they look good. Uh, the Celtics they hit some bumps, but they still look to be. The the uh the best team in the East, Zach Levine is going to be out yes. for the rest of the season. I think he's having surgery. Either it's going to be sometime this week. It may be tomorrow on his foot. Uh, he's uh, he's been in trade talks for the last two or three years, but uh this year I think they were going to make a move. He just signed a big contract. He's had health issues with the knee and now the foot, so they may look at him as damaged goods. I don't. I, I know he's still got it. He just has to get healthy. Now, the, the All-Star game. Hold up, Steve. Be, yeah. Jeff says, and Jim agrees, that James Harden still has to show him something in the playoffs. What are your thoughts? He does. 
he really does. And the reason that I think because in the playoff playoffs, he falls up like a lawn chair. <laughs> and he cannot be counted on to do anything in the playoffs. Yeah. The only thing that might save him this year, he's got Paul George, who's also had some trouble in the playoffs, and Kawhi. And I'm so happy for Russell Westbrook. He's playing so well, and he he, he volunteered to come off the bench. But uh, Jim and Jeff, uh, if they don't make the finals, it'll be because of Harden. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve, talk All-Star game, because I had a, a couple of questions before we get off here. Just talk All-Star. I know you started to do it. Okay. Uh, the All-Star teams have been uh, – Pick, you know, they picked the starters last week and uh, this past Thursday they picked the uh, reserves. Joel Embiid is going to be out and so is uh, Julius Randle who both made the All-Star team. Mm -hmm. But that East team is Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, uh, Halliburton from Indiana, Dame Lillard from Milwaukee, Bam Adebayo, uh, Miami, Paul Payot, Paolo Banchero, I'm sorry, butchered your name, Paolo, uh, from Orlando Magic. Scotty Barnes from Toronto, who will be taking Embiid's place. Jalen Brown from Boston. Jalen Brunson from the Knicks, who should have been a starter. Yes. Who's playing at the MVP level. Tyrese Maxey from Philadelphia. Donovan Mitchell, Spider-Man from Cleveland. And Trey Young, who will be taking the spot of uh, Julius Randle, and that rounds out the East. Yeah. Steve, I'm so glad Trey Young made it, even though I didn't like Randle being hurt. But Trey yeah. Young can ball. He can ball, I, man. And he's having his best year, Cliff. Yeah. Trey Young is having his best year. He's playing great. I'm glad he is on that team, too. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the, the West, uh, King James, LeBron, Luka Doncic, uh, Kevin Durant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Nikola Jokic, the Joker. Yeah. Uh, the reserves are Devin Booker, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Anthony Antman Edwards, Paul yeah. George, Kawhi Leonard, and Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, Steve. That rounds out the West. Yes. Yeah, let me tell you the question that didn't make the West. What's the kid with Mento? Fox. Wait a minute. Oh, oh, De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, he was he was ticked too. Yeah, he needs to be. <laughs> He needs, he, he needs to be because he's been a dog not only last year but this year too so he's been consistent mm -hmm. now i'm gonna tell you what's funny i'm gonna give you the three-point shooting uh not the three-point shooting list is funny but uh the three-point shooting uh contestants will be dame lillard tyrese halliburton donovan mitchell malik beasley what malik beasley doing what is malik beasley doing there oh. why is he there I, I might as well come out of retirement. <laughs> uh, Jalen Brunson and Laurie Markinen from Utah. Now, this is the funny part. The dunk contest. So far, they've got two people. <laughs> Matt McClung oh. and Jaime Haquez from Miami. There's a rumor that uh, Jalen Brown may uh, get in the dunk contest this year. He, he, he might as well. It's easy money. Mm -hmm. It's easy money, but uh, uh, just look for th look for uh, this Thursday uh, to check out what's going to be happening with the trade deadline and and what's going on there. And uh, 
it is it's going to be interesting because I thought the the some people have said that the Sixers uh may move for uh make a move for Andre Drummond mm. who's with who's with Chicago who would be a big help a big asset that can go in and literally get you uh with starters minutes 15 16 rebounds a game he's that he's that much of a force around that rim yeah. Steve one yeah. thing before we gotta go, and I'm gonna come to Dr. Kemp on this question. I understand that Steph Curry is going to shoot against Sabrina Ionescu. Who do you have in a three-point shootout? Sabrina or Steph? Let me go to Dr. Kemp first. Who do you have, Dr. Kemp? Sabrina Ionescu versus Steph Curry at the All-Star game. I heard they're gonna do it. Who do you have? Sabrina. I do too. Who do you have, Steve? Not so fast, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I still got to go with with Steph, man. I, I like. He's one of the few people I say that can outshoot me. Steph, <laughs> he, oh my, he is ridiculous. Jeff said Sabrina too. Uh, <laughs> Not so fast, Jeff. <laughs> so, Sabrina is a heck of a shooter and player, though. Yeah. Yeah. And she is a go get she is a basketball player. Let me tell you. Sabrina's yeah. tough. Well, you know what I'm waiting for, my matchup. All right. Here we go. Caitlin, Caitlin and Steph. All Caitlin right. Caitlin. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. Jim says Carrie. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, listen. To our 68 engagements on the line. Thank you for coming in tonight. Fred and anybody to the show night having downloaded our show. We're approaching two thousand downloads. Y'all help us get there. Now, we also have uh, 16 total in the chat room. We thank you for coming on tonight. Next week, in fact, the next few weeks, let me give it to you, we have Coach Heather Pavlik. She is the coach, volleyball coach, of the Division III NCAA two-time-in-a-row national champions, the Juniata Eagles. We've been waiting for her to come on. She's carrying a 65-game winning streak. She's won the last two NCAA Division III volleyball national champions. And then on February 20th, Coach Fletcher, he is the men's head coach at Wiley College in the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. They're getting ready for the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference tournament this month. We want to talk to them about his team. We also want to talk to the nation and all of you guys about Wiley College. And then we have a special edition coming February 27th. We have a specialist, Ms. Yvette Dalton. And we're going to get out of serious, talk about diversity and inclusion. She's an expert in this area, and uh, we're going to be marking it out. So we have big coming up in February as we celebrate Black History Month. I want to thank everybody for coming on tonight. It's been a great show. Spread the word, and we'll see everybody back in 168 hours from now. Thank you so much, everybody. It's been a great show. We'll see you back next week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.